Welcome to Voices and Views on Great Falls Public Radio, KGPR 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Thomas Risberg, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Greg and Monty Gillum, owners of Gillum Insulation, to the show. Greg and Monty, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having us, Tom. Thank you. So, right off the bat, I want to jump in. Let's talk about the Choice Cascade Summer Shootout 3-on-3 Outdoor Basketball Tournament. Well, we, uh, we decided to put together a tournament um, out in Cascade, and we're going to do that through our nonprofit. Um, that's why we're calling it the Choice Cascade Summer Shootout. Um, the tournament is going to be July 1st. Uh, play starts at 8 a.m., um, all the registration will be done online. Um, it'll be in downtown Cascade. If you download the app Tourney Machine and search Cascade Summer Shootout, um, you can get registered there. We got boys and girls divisions, 8U all the way up to 18U. If you don't know what that means, it's basically 18 and under. We've had some questions about that. But yeah, I'll hand it off to Monty on what choice is all about. And we also have flyers and our Facebook announcements as well with our... Um, What's the Facebook page for our listeners? It's under Choice. And and that's a perfect segue. So what does Choice stand for? <laughs> choice stands for Connecting Higher Opportunities in Community Endeavors. Unpack that. So we decided to start uh, the nonprofit Choice uh, beginning with giving other kids opportunities along with our children, uh, giving them opportunities to be able to have experiences, um, starting off with youth amateur sports. And so we hope to um, have that, you know, expand a little bit as we get going. But um, for right now, it's the youth amateur sports. Uh, we take teams um, to various places to play in basketball tournaments. Uh, we pay for a lot of the costs, most of the costs. Um, we have started doing a little bit of fundraising uh, we do have a funder, um, the Russell Garrett Foundation, which was my mom's um, late husband, Russell Garrett, uh, from Tucson, Arizona. So that is, uh, he's the major, that foundation is the major uh, funder so far. And so you're funding, you know, all these amateur sports opportunities for kids, but the the tournament actually funds even more than that, right? Not just the foundation. So tell me about who is going to be supported through this tournament. So we... We kind of kicked that idea around with some of the locals in the community, and it was brought to our attention that Wedsworth Hall, which is um, one of the hall that we're going to be using for restrooms and whatnot on downtown Front Street, um, needs a new sound system. And uh, I think we're going to be able to raise enough money to chip in to, to help them reach their goal. And we also looked at the Cascade Booster Club. Um, as being a, a entity we would like to donate some of the proceeds to um, just to help hopefully get uh, uniforms for the boys and girls basketball team for the upcoming season. I love it. Yeah, you never want money to be a barrier to kids being able to participate in sports and get all the benefits of that. Right. You know, and I think I think just to kind of go a little bit deeper with with the amateur athletics, you know, Monty had mentioned that we're we're trying to give opportunities to to kids that might not have them. Um, you know, 
especially with amateur athletics, the club teams out there, the, the travel teams out there, those are all at a cost to the parents. And it's usually a pretty steep cost. Um, we've noticed that if we wanted our son to play on a travel team when we came from the Gallatin Valley, you know, you're looking at like $5,000 up front for the, just to be on the team and be able to go to the, you know, five or six tournaments they have in the summertime, which is huge. I mean, you know, as parents, you know, you want the best for your kids, but you know, when it comes to money, things are tight. And so we're giving these opportunities to some, I don't want to say less fortunate, but some kids that might not have that opportunity. And we're, we're really proud of the fact that we're able to do it at little or no cost to them. Um, which is, is huge. And really that's kind of what the, what we established the, the nonprofit for. And that blows me away. So that is that for basketball? So to be on a traveling basketball team that maybe goes to five or six tournaments a summer, you're looking at $5,000. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. we, you know, we did a little bit of research and uh, there are a couple teams around the Bozeman area. There's one in Butte and, you know, and they're looking at $5,000 just to, to be on the team. And that's, you know, maybe practicing two or three or four times before they go to a tournament. So that, you know, that's, it's huge. It's, you know, and then if you, if, if as parents you want to attend, you know, now all of a sudden that 5,000 turns into, you know, 10 because you, you want to go and watch. So you're going right. to, you know, it's, it's a huge expense and, you know, it, it comes down to how, how vested the kid is into it. You know, how invested are the parents into it? And, you know, I mean, for us, it just gives opportunities and gives us a, an opportunity to to give back to, to some of these kids that, that might not have that. Oh, that's that's fascinating. And I, I want to really dig deep into the tournament, right, and amateur sports as we go along in the interview. But something that uh, I really near and dear to my heart that I've – try to do with all my interviewees that I want to pivot a little bit to is your background, right? And I think this will set up kind of how you came to be valuing choice so much and starting this nonprofit. But I, I talk a lot about what I've seen emerging in the United States. I refer to as the culture of contempt. And we see folks across the political spectrum that they consume media through Facebook, through cable news. What they get is a never-ending stream of three-minute clips or 30-second clips, and we start to make these judgments about people and what their values are, who they are as a person, and, and we know basically nothing about them. And I think that it's really toxifying our public square our culture and so it's something that i think with this show we get to do a deep dive with our interviewees right and i get to talk to you guys for an hour right. and so part of what i want to do is let our listeners know who you are and i hope that that can serve as a catalyst for when they are hearing about people uh, in whatever medium it might be 
they understand that even if they vehemently disagree with that position, if they took a look and saw the life story that that person had, they may view it through a totally different prism and to do the extra work to find out about people before you judge them, right? I think we all know the, you know, we got to walk a mile in a a man's shoes before you, you know, judge him, but I don't think we do that so much anymore. And so with that intro, I want to start out, Greg, can you tell me just, you know, where are you from and, and what was childhood like? Well, I uh, I was born and raised on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. Um, grew up in Browning my entire uh, adolescent life, and you know I came from a two parent household, um, which is which is a little bit unique from from that area. You know there isn't a lot of two parent households per se, um, and uh, lived a pretty good pretty good life up until you know up until high school and I got kicked out on my own. Um, and it was, you know, it was tough. It was tough coming from there. Um, being my story or I guess my situation was a little bit unique because on the Blackfeet Indian reservation, in order to be a tribal member, you have to be a quarter, um, degree of Indian blood, which, which for our listeners that don't, understand what that is is basically it's a pedigree for people and you know if my parents were um full-blooded blackfeet which means eight eight eighths they would you know in turn hand that down to me where i would be a full-blooded blackfeet with my parents that wasn't the case um you know my my mother is just over a quarter blackfeet my dad is a little under a half blackfeet so what that does is that translate in, translates into me not being enough Blackfeet to be Blackfeet, um, which you know which was was a little challenging um, growing up. You know your your identity, basically where you come from, you know, and and those people are saying that you're not um, was was something that sticks out in my in my youth that uh, we um, you know it, it was challenging. So sports um, turned out to be a huge thing um, on the reservation. You know, anyone that knows, um, Browning is known for their cross-country teams, um, their basketball teams, not so much football teams. Um, but uh, athletics was huge. And, you know, and there's, there's kind of a, it's almost like a pressure cooker of, you know, on some of these kids growing up because that's what, you know, that's what it boils down to is, is sports are life. And, you know, and I, my senior year, I made the move from Browning to Cutbank, which was, I guess, not seen by many as the right thing to do, you know, and, uh, went through some, some tough times because of that. But, you know, it, it all, it all made me the person I am today. You know, after, after high school was done, you you make the next step. And for me, it was, was college. Um, I had two parents that had never went to college. So I was going to be the first generation in my immediate family to, uh, to complete college, went to the university of Montana, go Grizz, um, graduated in May of 2000 with a degree in sociology and an emphasis in criminology. Um, you know, it seems like a a lifetime ago, but uh, I kind of wanted to to go into law enforcement. That's what my dad and my grandfather had done 
for uh, their professional lives. And, you know, it didn't work out that way. I, you know, I married my high school sweetheart. And, you know, we had a son and that, that didn't work out. And, you know, and I think at that point is, is one of those points in your life where you can, you can succeed or fail hard. And it was at that point where my life started to turn, turn to alcohol and drugs. What I want to parse out here is that, so you have these kind of living between two worlds, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you're on the reservation and, you know, that's your heritage, but you got some folks that are kind of telling you you're not quite enough Blackfeet, right? And I yep. can't imagine anything more harmful, right, yep. than thinking, hey, you're totally different than all of us. You don't belong here. And yet, through athletics, you were able to get some measure of acceptance, right? Correct, yeah. And I think that shows, you know, kind of you can start pulling the threads and see that that's part of why, you you know, you're so passionate about choice. Yes. Is that it's, if you wouldn't have had those opportunities, you know, you, you wouldn't have had an avenue where you could establish an identity for yourself. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think that's, I did talk a little bit about it being pressure packed, being in sports and athletics. And I always had my parents to, to talk to about those things, which, you know, what we see a lot now is kids that maybe don't succeed like they're expected to don't have that two parent family to, you know, to lean back on. And, you know, that's when the pressure gets to them. And, you know, and you and it just goes back to you don't understand what everyone is going through. You know, it's like you don't know that person's home life. You don't know. And, you know, and I think us throwing that olive branch out to some of these kids and being able to share our experiences with them is is huge. And it's one of the reasons that you know, I get I get these kids on the road and we have time at dinner to talk. And, you know, it's like, hey, look, I've been down that path and, you know, it's it's not good. And, you know, if we can if we can instill in one of them or get our message through in in one or two of them, it's it's a win for for choice and for the direction we're we're taking that. Absolutely. And I think it all starts with relationships, anything positive in human endeavors at root comes out of a relationship and to your point it can be really hard when you're in a pressure situation and you don't have a stable home life and that's something where uh, i know that you know you fulfill this role for for a number of people right is to be that you know person that cares and takes them uh to the tournament and, and sits down and talks with them and i think that that's something in, for the listeners to understand right is that while choice certainly is is about funding amateur sports really it's about relationships and Connection. supporting kids in having healthy connections yeah right and so i think that's a good so monty now you have a, a, a different life story right in terms of <laughs> how you guys came together and craig and so start off just you know where are you from where were you born what was childhood like okay so i'm actually from browning as well and graduated from Browning High School. Um, I I wasn't fortunate to have a two-parent family, but um, I grew up in a blended family. Um, we blended about as much as oil and water, but uh, <laughs> 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 I won't hold that against anybody. I got through all that. <laughs> 
But anyway, so yeah, I I went to college, uh, went to MSU um, to begin with, and then um, I graduated with my bachelor's in business administration at Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. Went back to Browning, um, worked for our tribe, and that was a little difficult um, because, you know, I had that, I was just newly graduated and moved back, and it's like, oh, you're acting too good because now you got a degree and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, ah, I think I'll, I'll find something else to do. So I moved and got some experience uh, working in the government. And then um, I recently graduated with my master's degree in Native American Studies and and at, at what institution? Oh, at MSU. Yes, go Bobcats. I was I was trying to pull that out that we've got a cat grizz a house divided dynamic a house here. Divided, yes. And so what I want kind of from both of you guys is that I, I try to understand growing up and the experiences that you had, what are some of the values that have despite the setbacks, despite the barriers you faced in your life? that have allowed you to succeed, that you, you really look back and you kind of say, wow, I wish I could impart that to, to the next generation? Well, I think with me, um, I, I grew up on a farm and a ranch and I watched my stepdad. Um, he worked from sunup to sundown. And so I had that, I had firsthand of seeing somebody work so hard. And I thought, you know, in my parents, they didn't go to college or anything. And so that was like my driving force. I thought I'm going to go to college so I can, I thought I was going to be, you know, a CEO in a big city and high rise, you know, all of that, but that didn't happen. Um, but, you know, I'm happy. I just kept driving to be, um, I wanted to go back and um, work for our tribe and just to help people and to be a good role model and whatnot. Um, I did and didn't. Um, I did fall in the path of um, alcoholism, and so it kind of like put a big damper on a portion of my life. And so I've recovered from that. And um, but yeah, I just tried to keep working. That was kind of in education was really important to me. And so um, and that's one thing that I instill in our children is education. And and it doesn't matter what you know could be for your college, uh, technical school, whatever. But just actually, you know, pursue. Have marketable skills. Right, yeah. yeah. So I love it. It's I can tell you, I've done this now for a uh, little more than three years. And without fail, and I do think this is for our younger generation, hard work is brought up as a foundational value by every single person I've had on the show. Not a single person doesn't bring that up. And I think that... It seems intuitive, right? But but I do think that we've had a, a, a little bit of a pullback, right, from that as a, a value that we hold dear. And I, just as a matter of objective fact, everyone says hard work. Yeah. And education is the great equalizer. I was a fifth grade teacher. I can tell you that the, the generations, I don't care what your background is, they are smart, they are motivated. They just need to have the opportunities. And so I love hearing education because it's hard work plus education is going to take you a long way in this world. And so, Greg, what are some ones that you take away from your childhood that really served you well? So, you know, I think I'd, I would have to, to fall back on that hard work. You know, it took me 40 years of my life to figure out that if I wanted something, I needed to work hard for it. 
it wasn't that my parents didn't instill that in me, but life happened. I learned how to be really manipulative and my gift for gab got me through. And, uh, you know, and what that did was that set up and reinforced all these bad behaviors that I had, you know, fell into, to addiction. Um, finally realized, uh, and we won't go into that, but finally realized that if I want something, I need to work hard for it and getting up every day and, uh, you know, and just being honest with myself that, Hey, you know, you can, you can put in a full day's work and, you know, at the end you're going to get paid well for it. Um, you know, and our, our story's a little bit unique in so far as, um, Monty and I were divorced for a period. Uh, we're for five years. Um, we, we got divorced. We both fell into, you know, that rabbit hole of addictions. Um, I know that for myself, my self-centered behavior was all about me. Um, and I walked out on our marriage. And and I want to just delve in so our listeners, you know, as full disclosure, I know, you know, Greg Monty outside of the show. And I think it's a, a pretty powerful story about family and resilience. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to kind of give our listeners a timeline. So you and, and Monty originally get married in... 2007. So it's in 2007, and then you have kids at that time, right? Yes, two boys. And then, so tell me, and I think this is for listeners to understand the power of, of love and sort of, you know, hope and, and keeping at it. You have the, the two sons together, and then what kind of is happening in life that leads things to sort of spin out of control? So, and I have two older children, and like Greg said, he has his older son too. So we have, you know, all of us together. But um, we just, yeah, we we lived in our hometown community, um, working, you know, where we worked, and just everything just got the best of us. We liked to party. Um, just life just happened, and we it just spun out of control. And before we know it, yeah, he... Greg had walked out and I was a single mother of four and that was, it was not a good scene. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I try to get at, at the time, did, did you feel, and this is asking, you know, Greg, that you were a victim, that you were mistreated. I hear this all the time is that everyone has their, their story, right? And it, it oftentimes it doesn't reflect reality, but we all, no one wants to be the bad guy, right? So I didn't, that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, with with extensive counseling and, you know, I finally realized that it was my fault. I, I was the the villain in the story. I walked out on my wife, on my children, um, all because of self, you know, self-centered reasons. I wanted, you know, I wanted pleasure now. I wanted this. I wanted that. Everything. now, And it was too hard to to get that from my family. And, you know, I took the easy way out and, uh, you know, and I've, I've, like I said, been through a lot of counseling and, you know, and I realize now the victims that I created then, but there's, there's a happy ending to this story because I got all of that back. 
Um, you know, fast forward about five years, which would put us four years ago. Monty and I reconnected and, you know, it just so happened, you know, I did, I sat in jail for a while, um, did the, did the treatment and the pre-release kind of that whole path, the DOC sets up for you. Um, yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? I think yeah. people are so, so you're up and, and you're, you know, you get sentenced, right? And then you're in there. First off, I just think it'd be interesting for listeners to understand what's your day to day like when you're in jail. <laughs> so it's you know it's something that now that I look back on it, you know, at the time, it it was really hard <clears throat> mentally at the beginning to to accept the fact that I couldn't control anything that was going on on the outside. You know, and it was at a point about three months into my incarceration where I realized, you know what, I can't do anything about anything that's going on outside of there. And it was at that point I realized that I need to start doing some soul searching. I need to start, you know, figuring out what's driving these addictions. And so I started reaching out for help in that way. Um, but yeah, there it's, it's, for lack of a better word, it sucks. I mean, you know, you get you get told when to eat, you get told when to sleep, uh, you get out in the recreation yard if you're lucky for an hour a day, which is 20 high foot walls, and you can't see anything but a little bit of the sky. Um, and you know, and I think at one point uh, Monty had brought Gavin, our oldest son, to come and visit, and you know, and her and I's relationship was was non-existent at that point, but uh, it was really a a humbling thing for me to walk into that visitor's room, you know, in my orange jumpsuit and sit down and see my son who I had walked out on, um, across the glass. And it was, you know, it was, it was one of those times where, you know, if you want to feel small, that's, that's one of those times where you just, you know, you'd rather crawl out crawl in a hole and die because it's, it's just hard. Um, but, like I said before, we, we reconnected after this journey through the DOC, I call it. And what is that? So you, you do the time in the actual, you know, prison, right? Yep. And then what's the transition look like? Okay, so for me, I was sentenced to uh, three years with the Department of Corrections um, for a felony possession of dangerous drugs, which was methamphetamine. Um, and... That doesn't mean that I'm sitting in prison for three years. The Department of Corrections is a little bit different. Um, they give you the opportunity to uh, do a drug and alcohol assessment. That's kind of where they start you. And then they place you in one of their programs. Um, my quickest path back on the streets, we'll call it, was two months in inpatient treatment and then six months in a pre-release center. Um, which I chose to go to Bozeman. Our Bozeman said it was okay for me to go there, um, which is a little smaller pre-release. There's pre-releases in Great Falls, Billings, Butte, um, and all of them have their own reputation, which is crazy because, you know, I, I knew I didn't want to be around drugs. Some of the pre-releases, it's really easy to get. So I picked Bozeman, knew it was going to be a little bit smaller, spent six months in there, and it wasn't until that point that I had somebody call me out on my manipulative behavior. 
I walked into the center and Melissa Kelly, who's what used to be the head um, of the Gallatin County reentry program, called me out. And, you know, and it was then that I realized that my manipulation was what got me in trouble more than anything. And so being honest, being truthful, those are things that, you know, if I start manipulating a situation now, I check myself. Or my wife checks me <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and it's, it's get back to the basics. And so six months in there, then we're out on the streets and, you know, and Monty had called and she said, Hey, Gavin has um, a three on three tournament. Here's this three on three is kind of the, yeah. the, <laughs> the, uh, she said, and he needs a coach for his team. And now I'm just out of the pre-release living in kind of a halfway house, which is a, an apartment with a bunch of guys that are, you know, on, on paper. And, uh, so now I have to figure out with no driver's license, with no car, how I'm going to get to Pulse in Montana, um, in two days. And so when she said that, I'm like, yes, I'll be there. And one thing I learned in recovery is when you say you're going to do something, do it. And, uh, so I was going to do whatever, whatever I had to do. Even if I had to walk, I was going to do it. But I was able to catch a bus, you know, from Bozeman to Missoula. I had a cousin who picked me up in Missoula and brought me up to Polson. And we reconnected and, you know, and I, I got to coach my son's team that weekend. And it just so happens um, someone was was looking for that connection again. And that someone being Monty. And, and she looked at me uh, one night and she said, uh, what do you think about giving this another shot? You know, and it kind of caught me off guard because I thought that ship had sailed. Um, but, you know, it was that second chance that I was like, yes, I didn't even hesitate. I said, yes. I said, let's, you know, I said, but there's going to be some ground rules for this. I said, you know, I know enough now that everything that happened in the past has got to stay in the past. I said, the hurt that I caused you, the hurt you caused me. I said, we don't get to bring that into Monty and Greg version 2.0 because it's, it's going to, it's going to poison us. And, you know, and I, and she, she had made the, the comment that she wanted to, to get sober. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things that it's like, cool, but I know how hard it is, you know, and it's, it's not easy. And, and I said, I'll support you 100% in that. And, well, I just love, you know, choice now takes on a whole new meaning, the name of the nonprofit, right? I mean, that's talk about, you know, changing choices and kind of how it just is, touches your heart that that's the first way that you reconnected with your wife, right? And now, you know, we'll hear more about how beautiful the last four years have been. But so a couple things that I think are really uh, worthy of note there is manipulation. And I think one of the ones I, I too am in recovery, you know, for our listeners and, and have been since uh, August, 2017. And the only person you can't fool is yourself. And I think that that is the hardest one for the, the kind of game players to understand is that at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. right. You keep getting everything you want and you're miserable because you know, that you're a liar and a cheat and you can't hide from yourself. And I think that that's something to all those ones that are kind of 
slim, you know, skimming by right now, right, and thinking that they they got one over on the world. It's like I just encourage you to take a look because most of the time you get everything you want and it don't change a thing. And now you just got the guilt and shame and none of the good stuff. And I want to thank you for being so open and honest here with our listeners. Um, I, I think getting insights into people's recovery journeys and, and seeing people raw and talking about life and stuff that hurts can change lives because that's how we change, right? As we relate to other people and hear their story and realize that we can do things differently too. Yeah. And so with that, Monty, I feel like it now is like a direct, so, you know, you can pick up the thread. So we're at the three on three <laughs> tournament for, for your son and Paulson. And, and, you know, you're willing to, it's the triumph over hope, hope over experience, right? Right, exactly. And so, and I was still, you know, I was still drinking, partying. It was summertime. I got a new boat. I was like, woohoo, this is, we're going to have a blast. But, you know, then I had to realize that that wasn't going to be the case. If we wanted to work this out, I was going to have to stop as well. And I pretty sure I even said, I have one more party to do and then I'm going to be done. So we figured it out. Um, the two younger boys and I, um, we actually packed up. Um, we had to, I had to tell everybody I'm getting back with Greg. Um, packed up from our place in Browning and we moved to Belgrade. And it was so funny because um, I always, you know, have my standards and this and that and whatever. And we're like, okay, we're going to have to stay in a local motel. It was the Quality Inn. And we stayed there for a week and I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, we got to find a place. And at that point, it was like, we literally have to take whatever we can because um, I don't know if any of you have had a felony or anything. That's the hardest thing to, <laughs> to try to get a manager to accept your rental application, any of that. So we went um, all over Belgrade, Bozeman area, and we found a rental and we literally just started over. The boys and I, um, we had packed one suitcase and we moved down with nothing. And I always tell this story too because um, I remember I didn't have money at the time. I had $28 to my name and Greg said, as long as you get to Belgrade and if you run out of gas, I'll find somebody in Helena to, um, to get you gas to get to um, Belgrade. And so luckily we made it all the way. Um, and we just hit the ground running and we found a place. Um, that's when I realized that the boys started school, but I realized that I had to start working on myself. And so I thought, thought about treatment, um, but then I thought, you know, I've always been here to take care of the boys. I don't know. And anyways, I started going to counseling. And so I did like, what, a year and a half count extensive counseling. And I, I learned so much about myself. And I had pushed so many things so deep down that that was the driving force of me wanting to drink, get drunk, blacked out, you know, just not deal with reality. Yep. You always hear, you know, you're only as sick as your secrets, right? And and it's something about being transparent and opening up to another human that, you know, kind of takes all those big stones out of the, the backpack you've been carrying around for, for decades in many oh, cases. Yeah. And so having, you know, I, I know we have lots of listeners that are going through similar things, right? And they're, they're you know, the number one kind of narrative we're having to subscribe to in the United States, right, is that everything's perfect, right? Mm -hmm. We can never show any weakness. We can never show anything 
but happy, right? You know, I always say you look at social media and you think that, like, you know, we're in some fantasy world, right? Uh, And so what are some lessons for each of you that when you – you come together and you decide we're going to, we're going to rebuild this. How have you been able to actually live that out? Right. Of we're not going to bring up the past. We're not going to, you know, we're going to make a change and seeing the way you guys live your day-to-day lives, which is just as incredible parents, community members, business owners. How does that start on a day-to-day basis? So I think, you know, to kind of go back to Monty's uh, story, I realized that there were things that I couldn't help her with, you know, and, and being able to, to communicate that, you know, when she started opening up about things that maybe she didn't want me to hear, but she needed to get out, you know, suggesting, Hey, why don't you find a counselor or, Hey, why don't you talk to somebody that isn't me because I'm not capable of helping you with that. Um, so that was, that was huge. I mean, and to see her be able to, to go through, you know, that first session, that second session, that third session and start to see that transformation in somebody, it was beautiful. I mean, you know, and, and I, I made that transformation just a short time before she did, but being able to be supportive and being able to communicate when something was on our mind. You know, whereas we weren't good at that before, you know, it was always, it always came up after the fact. And usually it was fueled by alcohol or usually it was fueled by drug, you know, and, and it was a fight and, you know, and we learned from those, those fights, if you will, and decided, you know, we don't want to live that way anymore. And, uh, it's been, it's been super rewarding and, uh, you know, I, I encourage any of our listeners out there to to go and talk to somebody. You know, the stigma of talking to a counselor is, you know, that you're crazy. And you know what? <laughs> you're not crazy. You just don't have the ability to to work through some of the issues, some of the trauma. And uh, those professionals will help. And you know, and sometimes you might have a bad one, so you go and find another one. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, until you until you get till you heal from your past traumas, until you heal from those mistakes that you made, you know, it's it's really hard to move forward. And I want to note, I do think that there's a huge stigma, right, about asking for help and, and especially when it comes to, to mental health. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've always found so ironic is that as a society, we would view it as you're a hard, tough person if you go get drunk and numb yourself for decades on end, beat people up because you don't know how to handle emotions, yell, scream at your spouse, your children, and barely hang on. And that's the tough person. I would argue the tough person is the one that has some humility. It's humility is the key word for me. And to say, I don't have all the answers and it takes courage to raise your hand and say, I don't have the answers and I, I need to go to someone and, and bounce some ideas off people. That is, in my mind, not weakness. It's the epitome of courage. Yes. And so, Monty, and I don't want to ask anything in, in the clinical aspects of it, but to that person that 
that is, you know, in the shadows, right, that is fearful of going to counseling, that it's going to, you know, kind of out them as, as somebody who doesn't have it all together. What what would you say to that person? Well, I had I had no idea, like, what to even expect at all. And so I kind of went there for, like, a recent incident that had happened to me. And next thing I am talking about this five-year-old person meeting myself and it just completely went on and I I thought of it as like you know at the circus where they had that ribbon that just keeps coming out and coming out and coming out I was like that's exactly how everything was coming out of me because I was like did that really happen in my life and so just so many things that I had stuffed deep down inside and my counselor she was awesome and um and so I just really got to the core of what was causing me to feel like I didn't want, I wasn't good enough. I didn't have any confidence. Um, and then I got confidence when I drank. And so that was kind of like, um, but I wanted to mention one thing that uh, with Greg and I, we have a saying that um, we, we would always say, don't look in the past because you're going to get a kink neck. So. <laughs> and nobody likes a kink neck. I love it. And so true, right? Well, I love the one that's, uh, you know, there's a reason the windshield is so big and the rearview mirror is so small, right? That what matters is where you're going, right? And it can be a guide. You know, it's not saying ignore it, but it's far more looking ahead. Yeah, we, you know, we we really are all about about moving forward. Um, You know, after we had reconnected, we're we're in that little two-bedroom apartment, um, at one point we decided we wanted to take somebody else in and, uh, my little brother moved down, <laughs> which, you know, that was, that was challenging because he had his own issues that he was dealing with. Um, but we've, we've always focused on, you know, focused on today and, uh, you know, we worry about tomorrow when it gets here and, um, you know, Belgrade was great for us. It was that geographical escape that so many seek. But we also knew that we had to do the work associated with it. You know, had we been back in our home community, I don't think we would have had an easy enough, easy time going through that. But being away, you know, it was funny. I I went to help with my son's youth basketball tournament, our youth basketball team. Here's Here's basketball again. And I approached one of, one of the parents asked me, do you want to coach? Can you help me coach? And I got home and I told Monty, I said, you know, I've, I'm a felon. I said, I think that's something that they should know because I'm going to be working with youth. And, you know, and I, I said, how do I, how do I do, how do I tell this guy that, that I'm a felon, you know, and he'd only known me from the point where we were together as a family in Belgrade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my actions were were on the up and up, if you will. And, you know, when I pulled him aside and I said, hey, look, I, uh, I'm a felon. I'm still on conditional release. Do you want me to help still? You know, and he, you know, he looked at me in the face. He said, yes. He said, I know what kind of person you are now. And that's the person I want helping these kids. And, you know, but it was always there in the back of my mind that, you know what? this doesn't have to be something that's going to hinder me. This can be an opportunity to prove that, that we're on the right path. And, you know, hundred percent, 
Monty was was behind me and uh, was willing to to make some sacrifices. Um, you know those <laughs> those rental applications were were hard because you know what you send hundred bucks to as soon as they see felon that goes in the trash and you know so we were, we had the opportunities to to find some some uh, private renters that we could get in a room with and be like hey look this is the story and uh, you know every time we've we've been able to win them over because. We're living the way we are living, you know, which we we think is the right way. Absolutely, and I want to get to the the family and then the the business aspect as well. That it's been quite a journey for four years, and I and you know seeing your kids and they're they're happy and and involved. So, what was some of the ones early on as you kind of came back together as a family that you could give to folks that have you know gone through some estrangement? Well, we definitely. Um have to yeah definitely give a lot to our kids because they they went through a lot um in the first marriage and you know had to deal with all that um they had to deal with the divorce and you know my situation and how i was parenting them um which was not which was not good at all but you know it was what what i had to do then um and so they see us you know as they they saw us growing um more and more as we were you know, first getting back together and getting help. Um, the older ones, you know, they had their issues, you know, with drinking, driving, all of that. And so since then, they've kind of took a look at themselves and was like, okay, I have good role models now. I have people to show me how to live. We don't, our um, family holidays, <clears throat> our celebrations, anything, we don't have to be drinking and partying and, you know, whatnot. So things have changed Um with all of us as a family and the two younger ones, you know, they can see us living healthy and um, being open. Anything that is on your mind, please share it, you know, get it off your chest right then and there. And so, yeah, the kids are definitely flourishing from that. And this is one I've always wanted to ask is, so what happens when a child says to you, you know, like they're getting disciplined for drinking or something. Well, you guys did it for decades. I always wonder what's oh, yeah. the, what, what do you say? So, so as a parent, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you just have to take that, you know, it's like, yes, that, that is the way we showed you how to do it. But look at these consequences that are going to come because of those choices. And, you know, and, and now we're setting that good example, um, and we're not abandoning them when they make a mistake. It's, you know, it's not coddle them, but it's, we're here for you and we're going to support you. Um, we're not going to say, you know, rub it in their faces because obviously we've, you know, we've lived that life and it's, it is, it's challenging, but we had to forgive ourselves for that, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, we, we had to ask for forgiveness from them but also forgive ourselves for our past transgressions or past behaviors and uh, just, you know, just move forward. And so it is, it was a little bit challenging and, you know, in the, the drinking part and the, the partying part, you know, we, we discourage it. We don't say you can't do it, but you know, it's, we got one that's coming up that's going to be 18 soon and, you know, and he's going to have to make those choices and uh, we don't want him to because, we know that path, but, you know, kids are going to be kids. And, you know, when they turn into young adults, they got to make their own choices. And, 
you know, and, and deal with the consequences if they're, if they're bad choices. Yeah. See, and I, I think that's right on that. It's like, Hey, you saw the pain that I went, you know, we went through. So if you want to take that path, right, just be ready for the consequences. Yeah. And that's, uh, so the other one I want to touch on, and I think this gets at how have you found, you know, you now have a thriving business and, and what do you say to that person? This is anyone that's an entrepreneur, you know, tell us the story because it's really inspiring of, of how you started the business and, and, and how it's, it is to d- today. So we were um, back again to Belgrade, living in Belgrade, and Greg was actually working for an insulation company there um, when the boys and I moved there. And so, like I said before, we were, you know, finding a place. Um, he's, he worked literally like seven days a week. And he was just working, working, um, you know, to provide for the family and whatnot. And so everything was going so good. We were able to move into a bigger house. And we have pictures of because our house has just got a little bit bigger, a little bit nicer, a yard. Oh, now we have a front and backyard. <laughs> so, um, moving on up. Moving on up. And so we were in we, typical Greg and Monty fashion. Um, we were lounging around in the living room one evening and we're like hey we know how to do a business why don't we write our own business plan and I have pictures of this I'm like laying upside down on the couch he's on the recliner with the laptop and we're putting together a business plan for our own insulation company and so we just um and then you know we just went from there and it's just been it hasn't um, been easy I mean I don't want to want to Make it sound like it was easy to do, but, you know, I mean, both Monty and I have an education in an educational background, and we were able to lean on that and, uh, you know, and just just put our minds to something. And, you know, it was like, well, I'm working my butt off seven days a week to provide for everyone. Why don't we do it on our own? And, you know, instead of making that little piece of the pie that an installer makes... Let's look at, you know, making the entire profit on a project. And so I I went to work for another insulation company. They kind of gave me the on-the-job training, whereas I was bidding jobs. I was, I was doing everything, even bringing the check to the bank for my old employer. So I got four or five months of experience that, that really catapulted us into, into having that solid business plan and looking... Uh, for some funding, which I think I should mention because it was a huge uh, break. So we talk about getting breaks, and we've gotten plenty of breaks. Um, and you know, and I always like to think that it's because we're living the right way. Um, my my late father-in-law Russell Garrett saw our business plan and saw, you know, saw our our drive and our want, and and he witnessed us at our worst. But now he sees us coming out of that darkness and he has the means to, to set us up. And so we, our sales pitch to him was like, look, we can do this. And, you know, and I want to take a lot of the pressure on myself. It's good pressure, but I want to, I want to turn this into something that, you know, the kids can have at some point or, or not. I don't know. But, uh, so he, he loaned us the money to start. Um, we got a foam trailer, an attic blow trailer, a truck, and uh, hit the ground running. And it's been a little over three years. Gilliam Insulation has been in business. 
Um, we we re are about a year ago moved up here to to Great Falls, which is a new, I would say, challenging market um, as far as growth. Uh, they're not quite building at the rate Gallatin County is. Very um, few places are. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been an adjustment. It's been a little bit slower. It's been a little bit more competitive. Um, you know, we thought we would escape the valley down there and and pay less money, but that's not the case. Um, we're still dishing out the cash every month, but uh, you know, it's it's something that I mean, as a as a small business owner, you need to you need to show up every day. You know, sometimes you need to come in on Saturday. Sometimes you need to come in on Sunday, you know, and just to get to get projects done. And, you know, we joke because Monty visits the job site ever so often. And uh, last week she she came out to a project we were on and I was so tired by the end of the day because I didn't get to take any breaks because she was down there outworking all of us, you know, and. I was, by the time we were done that day, I, I looked at her and I was like, I don't, maybe I don't want you at the job site every day because I had to work my butt off. But, uh, that's so, awesome. So she was actually doing the insulation yeah, installing. Oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, and working faster than everyone. Right. Yeah. Right next to us. And, you know, and it's, so that's, a, that's what being an owner is. And we, you know, and we were fortunate, like I said, we caught the brakes at the right time. And, you know, and super grateful. I mean, super grateful for all of the, the opportunities we've had. And, you know, and that, that, that again is that second chance theme. You know, you got a second chance. Don't squander it. They're not, you know, they don't come along all the time and make the most of it is, is really what our relationship has been about. And one thing that I always mention to the kids is that I don't think it's fair that just Greg works. I think we all have to work at some point if, an employee doesn't show up one day, one of us need to come in and help because it's not fair that, you know, he works all the time. Um, and so sometimes you'll find the kids, they'll be on the job site as well, cleaning up, um, doing what they can. But I always remind them that they like nice things and so do I. So we all got to be on the job site at some point. That's absolutely. I always say that's that classic. You may got to make choices, right? Yeah. And if you yeah. want to have nice things, you got to choose to get out there and, and do the, the hard work. So yeah. I do want to circle back. We're kind of coming to the end. And when I listen to your kind of life story, right, it, there's there's redemption, there's grace, there's humility, there's hard work. And it is about changing the choices you make and seeing different outcomes. And so I want you to give our listeners another you know, kind of understanding of they've got this great nonprofit you guys have started that are going to allow kids to have experiences in sports that are going to allow them to make better choices. And so, one, tell a little bit again about the three-on-three -three tournament, and then how can people that, that say, you know what, I really want to give kids an opportunity and want to support you guys, how they could go about supporting choice. So choice, like we said, the the acronym stands for connecting higher opportunities in community endeavors. So I think down the road it's going to transform into maybe not just youth athletics, but but in giving opportunities to to underprivileged youth. Um, 
our ability to to put on this three on three and cascade will allow us to to continue you know our our mission now but it's it's really about giving kids opportunities and you know and i mean youth tournaments from when i was small growing up you know those are things that i remember those are times that i cherish um you know we hit on Monty and I reconnected at a basketball tournament. So it's it's one of those things that, you know, it's near and dear to our hearts. Our chill, our oldest son, Gavin, his his love is really basketball. You know, he, he has a passion for it. And, you know, it gives us the ability to kind of to give them more opportunities. Um, Cascade, we moved there last year, uh, you know, and we had the choice. Should we send our son to Great Falls High? Should, we can't send them to Ulm. They only go to eighth grade there. But Cascade was just down the freeway, and uh, we we went to the community one community mixer in the summertime, and you know we felt welcome. It was like they were they were like, "Hey, where'd you guys come from?" You know, and and it's like Belgrade, and they're like, you know, they kind of have that frown on their face, like, "Ah, oh, no, Bozeman." But then you know, then we say, "Hey, but we're originally from Browning." And then they still kind of have that <laughs> frown on their face because it's like, oh, from Brown. I said, but we're we're living here in Ulm. We have a business. We have children that we want to uh, to you know get in school here, and it's it's been really really welcoming, and you know, and the people are great out there, and I think it gives the community a little bit of an opportunity to to showcase what they got going on. Um, July 1st is the day of the tournament, and it's also the same time as, and I don't know if you got any um, information on this, but I think it's called the 40-mile garage sale um, that runs from Ulm to Wolf Creek or something. And so it'll be that same weekend. So if you're out uh, out doing that, you can swing by uh, Front Street and Cascade and, and check out some three-on-three basketball. I was going to say, admission to watch is free, right? Yes. Yes. Yep, and we're gonna have you know we're gonna have some music. We uh, we're we're kind of kicking around having an MC type person that's gonna get the crowd going, and you know it's it's gonna be a good time. Um, basketball is is fun. It's an intense sport, and you know, and we we love that we we were able to bring this opportunity there. Absolutely, and so as we you know wrap up, so you've got that day Saturday, July first. It's gonna kick off at eight a.m going to be out in downtown Cascade. Yep. Stop by there on your way, you know, on the 40-mile garage sale. But make sure people with kids, and it's pretty much young, you know, 5-year-old all the way up to like an 18-year-old. We've got you got a place for them, right? And then the last one I want to leave our listeners with, where do they go to register? So if you go to the Turney Machine app on, on iPhone or Android, um, type in Cascade summer shootout it'll come up and it'll have the division you can register for before july 16th this is kind of an important date june. before i'm sorry june 16th um the registration is 75 dollars. it's a lower fee before then um the first 25 teams will receive a t-shirt uh you know it's just one of those things we don't know how many t-shirts to order so we're doing the first 25 teams will get a t-shirt with their paid registration after june 16th the registration goes up to a hundred dollars um it'll be a little bit more but we've priced 
you know some of the tournaments going on around and it's it's still really reasonable a maximum of four players and uh yeah show up lace them up and and play some ball but if you're on facebook you can uh go to the choice facebook page and there's a um a link on there as well so that's make the right choice <laughs> and go sign up for the choice cascade summer shootout three on three tournament today and I just want to thank you both uh, for being so open and, and sharing your heart and, and your life story. So, uh, Greg, Monty, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Tom. You've been listening to Voices and Views on Great Falls Public Radio, KGPR 89.9 FM. And today's guests were Greg and Monty Gillum the co-owners of Gillum Insulation and the founders of the Choice Nonprofit, giving opportunities to youth for amateur sports and more. Thank you so much for listening.